a nuclear bomb could be made any minute now. Who did they hire to like edit this nice little like video together? Like just just <laughs> type it all up and send it out, man. The time is of the essence right now. Hi and welcome to episode Cine Nation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And I'm Thomas Horton. And here at Cine Nation, we spend each month discussing film genres and the tropes and stories within them. On today's episode, we are continuing our month-long journey through the spy genre. We have talked about how the spy films have evolved uh, from the early iterations of the genre with Alfred Hitchcock to the post-9-11 spy films like The Born Identity. Um, so, Thomas, what are some of the, the tropes and themes that we have discussed when going through the spy genre? Style. <laughs> Definitely style. Going all the way back to Cary Grant's suits in North by Northwest, to James Bond, to... You know, even even, you know, uh, Jason Bourne, you don't really think of like Jason Bourne as being stylish. But if you go back and watch it, the 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 outfits are very like 2000s. It, it's like, yes, 2000s, yeah, yeah. like Eastern European flavor. But um, yeah. but uh, it's still it's still it's still important. But uh, and that's something... not, what I, not what I was expecting for your first thing. out. <laughs> it did. It got to be stylish. You got to be stylish if you're going to be a spy. Um, double crossing is huge. Like double agents, triple agents, quadruple agents. We talked about that a lot with John Lucari's works. Um, there's always, you can never trust anybody. You never know who to trust. You never know where you stand. Everyone's yeah. trying to kill you. Um, arm yourself because no one out here will save you as uh, as the theme to Casino Royale says. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not talking about James Bond. Um, no, that's next week. Next that's week. next week. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, and, and we we kind of discussed we we got into the difference between like American spies and British spies, like MI6 versus the CIA, and and especially American spies, especially the genre kind of taking off after in a post Watergate world, like being very uh, a lot of our American spy films are kind of anti government. Like you don't yeah. see a whole lot of American spy films where it's like the CIA is great, we love them, like because I think. And, and we talked about, you know, with MI6, like the queen, you know, they have someone you can look to and say like, yeah, God save the queen. And and with uh, the CIA, it's a little bit more clandestine. Like who is actually in control of the CIA? Is the CIA trying to kill the president? Is the CIA yeah. working for the president? Is the president working for America? And so, uh, yeah, a lot of times you'll see in American spy movies, the, the very people in charge are often the ones that a questioning eye is turned to. Mm. Whereas a certain character with the initials jb never really questions mi6 you know that's not really part yeah. of the plot um but that's something i think we'll, we'll talk about this episode is just kind of like where yeah where imf fits in on the scale of like the cia is constantly tricking everyone to like mi6 is like always good all the time yeah but yeah we talked about uh action scenes specifically like where where the spy genre fits as a blockbuster and and you know we kind of went all in between where john lucari might not have any action scenes but we also talked about how north by northwest laid down like the groundwork for you know car chase foot chase fight scene big action piece yeah yeah. and then you start all over again kind of thing yeah, and we've all, we've uh, you kind of touched on a little bit uh, like about betrayal, but like the who to trust. Um, also, kind of the spy romance, which will it's kind of in play in this movie we're going to discuss today. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's there. Um, Film fatales. I'm, 
Yeah, another thing too, which I don't know if we've really directly referenced in any of these past episodes, but I still think it fits a lot of these movies. Even when I just talked or talked to Ben last week about the conversation, is like how the the job that you're in affects your personal life and what type of personal life you can have. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's which is why like why Bond very rarely has like a a love interest that sticks around the entire time. It's been, been married once. That did not yeah. go well. We'll talk about and, uh, that next, next week. week. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's like, but that's very apparent in Born Identity, and that's the Born series, and that's very apparent. It became very apparent in the series we're going to talk about today, and that's Mission Impossible, specifically Mission Impossible Fallout, which was the most recent Mission Impossible film. And Mission Impossible is a series that has evolved over time. It's it's not as as not as long. It's not a fifty year long franchise like James Bond. But it's a 22-year-old franchise in terms of the movie mm-hmm. series with Tom Cruise. And I, I'd argue that the evolution is a little bit more dramatic than Bond. Like, from, from oh, movie yeah. to movie, from movie to movie, yeah. the amount of change, especially within, like, the first four, is yeah. is wild. And and there, it's, the Mission Impossible movies are my, are to me, you know, if you're doing those, those uh, you know, they used to do the, the analogies in elementary school that was like something dot dot something dot 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 you know you know what i'm talking about yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, colon double colon uh mission impossible (laughs) movies are to me as i feel like fast and furious movies are to other people okay like they're just these blockbusters that i just know i can go have a good time they're going to be really well made they're going to be ridiculous but they're going to be great and they the, the franchise was not always that way you know, if you go back and look at the the journey of the franchise, it is just kind of wild that we are where we ended up with it. It's it's wonderful. I, I think it's the best possible <clears throat> the best possible way this could have played out. Yeah, but it's not what you would think. You know, if you if you just walked out of the theater and you just saw MI three, I don't think that you would guess that Fallout was coming. Fifteen years down the line, how long has it been since that one? Uh, I think I think Mission Impossible three was 06, Yeah, maybe. 14 years, uh, 13 yeah. years. Yeah. So, yeah, if you haven't seen Mission Impossible Fallout, it's currently streaming on Amazon Prime, Hulu, or wherever you stream your movies. So, real quick, uh, Thomas, can you give us a breakdown of the of the story of the Mission Impossible series and then what Fallout is specifically about? Yeah, so, you know, to bring in what we talked about about American Spy movies, the first two... Mission Impossible movies definitely fit more into your standard American spy film because it was a lot about the IMF, which is does it does it stand for the Impossible Mission Federate? I don't know what it stands for. They just call Give it me the, a second. They just call it the IMF all the time. Surely there's not a government entity called the Impossible Mission Federation. I don't I have no clue what it stands for. But yeah, so the, the first two movies are are about this this spy is a separate spy group within the american government that specializes in like deep undercover like crazy missions that that take more kind of thought and strategery than your normal spy outfit would be able to do especially the mask the masks are kind of the trademark of yeah that mask you can put on it makes you perfectly look like someone else and then you can rip it off and reveal that you're um someone else under Simon Peck, yeah and and so it it starts with Ethan Hunt and this like team from IMF, and the first two movies are a lot about kind of betrayal within the IMF, like who can you trust, yeah. who's selling out the people within there, and 
And the third one, I think, kind of breaks that mold. And the, the first two movies never really had like a, a bad guy outside of the IMF. It always was someone within okay. who was a double agent. And the third movie brings in Philip Seymour Hoffman as this like insanely evil spy villain. Honestly, yeah. one of the best spy villains in like spy movies. And, and that's when it starts. I think it, it the, the movie, the, the franchise could have like stumbled and lost its way on the second one. It's um it's a very interesting movie to take on its own. John Woo directed it. It is just very much his style of like late 90s action and it's not realistic in any way, but also different from the way that the current ones are not realistic in any way. But yeah. um but yeah, so the third one is when we get we are introduced to Michelle Monaghan, this idea that Ethan Hunt who is um Tom, Tom Cruise's character like wants to get out of the life, he wants to settle down. But uh Philip Seymour Hoffman kind of drags him back in. And uh, and then the fourth one, which was Ghost Protocol, yes, involves, and that's where it becomes what it is now, which is yeah. that like the IMF is something like it's this pure, like every everything else in the U.S. government can be corrupt and bad, but the IMF is like pure, like you can't touch yeah. the IMF, and and so Ghost Protocol is like the IMF gets betrayed by the government, they have to go underground. It's where that you really get like the main crew of like Simon Pegg and Ving Rhames, who was with it from the beginning. Um, well, he's, not the, he's, he's not really in the fourth one. Yeah, he does. He's he, only, yeah. Oh, he, can, he shows up in the fifth one. Yeah. Fifth one. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah. And that's it, it's also when it becomes this thing of just like how crazy can Tom Cruise be in these movies? And <laughs> it's the fourth one. I, I, I think the sixth one is I mean, the third one is what saved it from the like stumble of the second one i don't think we would still have the franchise without the third one but it the franchise would not be what it is now without the fourth one correct and yes, that was when they had tom cruise climbing the tallest skyscraper in the world yeah um and so then the franchise became like what can tom cruise do as this stunt and we can all just go see it yeah. and the plots the plots get a little more murky but um but the in the in the fifth one uh rogue nation is about like someone has been recruiting secret agents from all the different agencies around the world to make like this terrorist group and the imf is of course the only one that hasn't been touched because imf is like pure and good yeah which is something we'll keep we'll see come back a lot in fallout and so uh rebecca ferguson's character is introduced to us as like a double agent like is she part of this terrorist group is she actually working for mi6 we're introduced to solomon lane who is like our big bad guy for for two movies yeah uh and then that leads directly into fallout which is about ferguson trying to kill lane ethan trying to find lane and they're all trying to stop lane and his mysterious sidekick named john lark from planting nuclear bombs around the world there we go that's that's the whole mission that's impossible the whole, franchise. That's the whole franchise just so you know we're gonna be spoiling fallout so uh go watch it if you have not seen it but that's 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 also why I point to three as being the one to like, like one and two, the the plots of one and two do aren't brought up at all anymore. Three. It's really Michelle Monaghan and three. That is like the only yeah. story thread that is still being held on. I will say with, with fallout, we did bring a character in that connects to mission impossible one. And that's uh Vanessa Kirby's character. Cause she's the daughter of, of Max, which was played by Vanessa Redgrave in Mission Impossible One. What? I didn't even know that. Yeah. I did not pick up on that at all. 
So yeah, she's her daughter. That's just an Easter egg. Like they don't even they don't even reference that in the film. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's the whole thing. It's like it's so McQuarrie came Christopher McQuarrie who who wrote and directed this one came in and wanted to like connect the whole series mm-hmm. together in a way. In in our in my recap, I just said something I didn't bring up was it was very unique as a franchise that had different directors every single movie and very yes. interesting directors from De Palma to John Woo to J.J. Abrams to Brad Bird's first live action movie. Yeah. Um, but then Macquarie came in on the fifth one and absolutely blew it out of the park. And, and he and Cruz are good friends. They work really well together. And so now it seems like it has become Macquarie's franchise at this point. Yeah. And I know we were we you and I were like, oh, no, they're bringing in like they're, they're not bringing in another director because we we kind of felt like each film has its own style to it. Mm-hmm. We're talking about style. And I was a little worried because McQuarrie was coming in like, oh, we've kind of repeated. Is he going to bring the same thing he brought Rogue Nation? Even though Rogue Nation, I highly enjoyed and loved, but it was the idea of like, oh, this franchise has been about like bringing in a new director and seeing their interpretation of it. But what's happened specifically with Fallout, I agree like Mission Impossible 3 brings in the idea of ethan having a personal life Mm -hmm. and how his decisions in his spy life uh can hurt his personal life and they're basically have been they built up into to fallout Mm -hmm. where everything every decision like ethan's kind of made throughout has built to this moment where everything's now coming uh, it's basically it's nailed in the head with alec baldwin who's like you're the type character you're the type person who will choose one life over the millions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's not really present in the first two. It's three no. that really starts to make Ethan this like very, I keep using the word pure, but I think what it is is like Ethan specifically and IMF are like a very uncynical Like Ethan is not cynical whatsoever. He is like, I'm yeah. going to do what is right. I'm going to make it happen. Period. Let's go. And yeah. that's, that's kind of what characterizes the IMF now that the IMF has become pretty much just Ethan. Um, yeah. And, and that's what I think really sets this franchise apart from especially any American spy cinema, um, but definitely like any spy cinema there is. The the IMF is something that is wholly different from any other like spy entity that we have in film, I think. I, I agree too, uh, specifically with, the, with, with Ethan Hunt, because I mean, IMF is there, but you don't really see anything outside the IMF besides ethan if that makes sense yeah yeah especially after uh ghost protocol which is essentially ghost protocol is about i am the imf being like dwindled down to just ethan's crew like everyone else is like killed off well well basically yeah basically i think what starts happening with ghost protocol even to fallout is that basically ethan and his team are pretty much alone like ghost Mm -hmm. because i rewatched ghost protocol for this as well was like basically CIA, like the American government disowns IMF. So it's like, they're like, whatever we have, this is what's left of IMF. So we have to do this alone. And then ro- basically that's what's kind of set up is that Ethan has kind of gone rogue mm-hmm. for these past few movies. And that's becomes integral to the plot of six is mm-hmm. that at one point they believed that he might be the villain, John Lark, because no one knows what Lark looks like because they're like, oh, well in the past, Ethan's gone rogue multiple times and gone against what IMF and the American government has said. So maybe that was a ploy to basically get the plutonium to end the world or whatever, or to mm-hmm. kill off a third of the population. So I had not seen Mission Impossible Fallout since theaters 
Had you seen it since theaters? I hadn't. I had not. I hadn't rewatched it since theaters. It was a. I, I saw it opening day on yeah. Movie Pass. I managed to get in. That was the weekend that Movie oh, Pass that ran out of week- money and and blacked out Mission Impossible. But I got in on my Movie <laughs> Pass and I saw. I it. was. I was there, man. I was there. Remember Movie Pass? Those were the days. That was the, that was the beginning of the end. That was they ran out of money completely that weekend and were like, shut it yeah. down. And then they got a bailout and then they blew that too. Yeah. No one thought they didn't think Mission Impossible would be that big, and then it was. Oh yeah. No one knew. No one knew how how big Tom Cruise was. I think there's just enough time between these movies that the hype starts to die down every time. Yeah. The hype starts to die down a little bit. It's one of those franchises that's just always kind of there. It's not like a Fast and Furious. Like you're it's not always getting hyped up. No. And so like, you know, we had all these talks in 2018 after this movie came out. Like this was this is like one of top ten, one of the best action movies ever made. And now like like it's kind of died down again. And and when mm-hmm. the next one comes out and is I'm sure incredible, it's gonna be one of those things everyone feels like surprised all over again. That's yeah. I think that's the beauty of this franchise. I, that was weird too, because because from from Rogue Nation to Fallout, it was the shortest time period in between films. Mm-hmm. So it was three years between Rogue Nation and Fallout. I think Ghost Protocol to Rogue Nation was four years. Mission Impossible three to Ghost Protocol was five years. We're also just used to at this point with with cinematic universes. We're used to just always having franchises around. Yeah. Like six six months between every Marvel movie, kind of thing. Yeah. And and now that we've got all these Fast and Furious spinoffs, we're getting to that point. We get a Fast and Furious movie every year, basically. Yeah. And so yeah, it's kind of it's it's kind of rare at this point to have a huge blockbuster franchise with like three to four years between every movie. That that doesn't happen often now. And also centered around one person at the end mm-hmm. of the day. It's centered around Tom Cruise. Yeah. That's the big difference between a Bond franchise and a Mission Impossible thing is that. No one's really came in and replaced Ethan Hunt. Guys, I'm going to go ahead and spoil the end of the episode. Gene Hackman MVP award is is going to Tom Cruise. Tom like, <laughs> you can't go to anyone else. You, you already know this. This is Tom Cruise. This is Tom Cruise, Cruise's thing. Uh, yeah, so Fallout, but, but quickly, what were your initial thoughts when re-watching Fallout again? It's incredible. It is the thing I really picked up on, and I, and I might not have picked up on this in the movie theater because it was just the pure overwhelmingness of it. But I just got a new sound bar in my new house. It's not fantastic. You know, it's under 100 bucks. <laughs> so it was a deal on Amazon. But the sound on this movie is incredible. Yeah. It's so well done. The score is really well done. It's constantly playing off of the, the theme. We haven't brought this up, but everyone should realize this at this point. Mission Impossible was a, a TV show in the 60s. Yeah. And the theme is dun, 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 dun. And... Um, the score is always playing off of that, especially bongos. Yeah. There's bongos in the tv show theme and so they they bring the bongos in a lot in the score which is great um but it also knows when to just drop the score and let the like sounds of a fist fight or a gunfight or a car chase just play for themselves and there's one there's one scene in particular where, where ilsa rebecca ferguson's character is chasing ethan ethan's in a car and she's in a bike and there's one scene where she like turns down this like alley between two buildings and there's columns on the buildings and as she's passing the columns you're hearing that like whoosh, whoosh, yeah whoosh, as every column goes by and i'm like i feel like i am going 60 miles an hour right now <laughs> like i feel like i am on that bike yeah and, and a lot of times when i'm watching a car chase if the if the sound is done bad on a car chase you know it's just constant squealing tires and like vroom vrooms i get so sick of it 
and but like it is done so well in this movie to like make you feel like you were right there and you were going so fast with them and there's so many so many of the big set pieces I, i noticed the most this time around are just made by the huge IMAX visuals, obviously, but just the yeah. sound. The sound is so important in this movie. Yeah. The IMAX visuals, even on your screen, it's the same. The scene that really g- grabbed me was the helicopter sequence. Cause that's where I noticed. Cause you're, you're cutting back and forth between like the scenes and then the action thing. So you're yeah. seeing IMAX screen and then what? Yeah. Screen. And it's, it's also really well done in, is, as far as space, because you're cutting between like Ilsa and Simon Pegg, Benji. Yeah fighting in this very small little like dark cramped cottage yeah and then you're cutting back and the and the aspect ratio shrinks down and they're boxed in and then you cut back and the aspect ratio opens up your screen is full and it's two helicopters spinning out of control over these snow-capped mountains it, it actually works really well there's sometimes when you get home and you're not at a big screen sometimes that like changing aspect ratio can get on your nerves it, it does for me sometimes but it really works here. Like yeah. the in, in showing you like, yeah, it's really important this like fist fight to get control of the nuclear bomb here is just as important as like giant helicopter chase, but it it differentiates them so well that that the it's I, I watched that scene. I went back and watched that scene again last night. And Amazon Prime, I got to call out Amazon Prime. When I went back to watch it, they said, watch again with like a question mark. I was like, don't don't guilt me, Amazon Prime. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just went back and watched the last 20 minutes again last night just to do it. And like, it's breathless every time I am. I am yeah. like out of breath watching it and I know what's going to happen. But it, it is cut so well and, and shot incredibly well. And then, of course, as we keep coming back to Tom Cruise is hanging under a helicopter over the snow-capped mountains like this. It's real. It's happening. <laughs> And you can't, there's one specific scene that is just, you know, we can we can talk this whole movie about like the real stunts that Tom Cruise does. Yeah. In the helicopter chase, there's this one shot where he's climbed back up and he's trying to get from the rope onto the, the runners. Yeah. Jesus. And it just, it just holds on him. And you know, it's real. Like you can feel it. And it's it's visceral. When he, when he, fall, when he falls from the helicopter down to the, the payload, yeah. you're just like. Oh man, I, I I assume he's on a wire. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But still, like you can tell that they're flying. They're really flying over the, those mountains underneath. Like it is yeah. that is not green screen under there. Yeah. It's funny. I I read. I don't know how true this is, but I read that uh, Henry Cavill talked about this movie and how it was vastly different than working on a DC movie in terms of, like working out. <laughs> I can imagine. In terms of working out, he goes, "Yeah." He goes, "In terms of like working out, like I mostly just work out to like." look good when i take my shirt off as superman mm-hmm. uh and this is a whole debate of, of the de- of like superhero films like yeah i just i look good for like th- those shots he goes but with mission impossible like i'm having to work my entire body not for like an aesthetic purpose but for like the mm-hmm. physicality of the movie and two you're talking about blocking of of scenes what i found what i noticed this time and this is, I, I think a little bit, it's McQuarrie and Cruz. I think Cruz has a lot to say in, in, in terms of the action scenes because he he has become a stuntman. Mm-hmm. Like, he has become this, like, actor stuntman type character. But the way McQuarrie and Cruz stage a fight sequence, it's set up, a, it, it's like a good joke where you have your setup and you have your punchline. Mm-hmm. For example, the bathroom sequence. Yeah, where you Fantastic. have a cut, you have a cutaway of the gun, like falling under the the stall. It's close mm-hmm. up, so you go, okay, the gun's over there. So now 
that set up the sequence of when Cruz and the guy he's attacking fall down next to the gun and the gun's there. Mm-hmm. We know the gun's there because we've seen it already and we know it's going to be there. Yeah, but so it's, it's like, like two, two and a half minutes later of like yeah. intense fist fighting Actually, like yeah. you, it's long enough that you kind of forget like you're it's not yeah it's not a smoking gun like you're not like who's gonna grab the gun but no. when they get back over there you're like oh yeah the gun's right yeah. there and it's not like a motivation let me get the gun so i can shoot him it's the oh there's a gun here now let me grab this it's just it's setting up each step of the way and they and they they plant it early on to where it pays off later and one quick question i want to ask when re-watching it i was like i wonder if mcquarrie watched a lot of the dark knight when prepping for this because there's a lot of Dark Knight stuff in this movie. The part that really grabs me that feels like a Dark Knight sequence is when they're trying to uh, capture or, or it's not capture or rescue, but trying to apprehend Solomon Lane, mm. who was in the who who is in the police like police van. Yeah, yeah, and you've got like the armored trucks and you got the and armored the trucks, thugs, you're going- all that stuff. You're going through town. You have to like, oh, this 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 truck t- t- uh, tips over, so you have to go a different way because they're planning it ahead. And and a truck gets knocked into the water, which happens in uh, Dark Knight. And they're trying to in in Dark Knight, they're trying to app- they're trying to get uh, Harvey Dent. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it's Solomon Lane. So it's like there's very the sequences are very similar. And so I wondered when watching it if that was like an inspiration behind some of this movie specifically that scene but brief history of how it got made before we get into our favorite scenes even though we talked a lot about our favorite scenes um <laughs> oh we haven't even fe- talked about the best one <laughs> and the best people in here uh the thing the film was greenlit a few days before the release of the fifth entry in the series mission impossible rogue nation uh which was released in 2015 after the success of rogue nation McQuarrie became the first director to direct two different mission impossible movies he told tom cruise that he would only do it if he could make the visual style different from rogue nation because he felt that each film had a different style because it had a different director so he wanted to continue that theme the film did get halted at one point in pre-production because of a pay dispute with tom cruise and the studios uh tom cruise wanted to receive the same payday or more than what he was receiving on the mummy is what it was (laughs) But and they eventually all made up and everything was fine and that's how it got made and and yeah they pretty much it's one of the first. So the thing about Mission Impossible is so interesting, especially with this one. This feels like the most like uh, official sequel, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like one to two are just kind of different missions, same as three. Four is kind of like a, a it's a revamp of the franchise. And even though four actually ends, I didn't notice this the first time, but actually ends with a reference to Rogue Nation because mm-hmm. it ends with 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 Ethan getting a, getting his new mission, and they're talking about the Syndicate, which yeah. is the main group in Rogue Nation. But you don't know that yet. This feels like we're literally ending like right after we're coming a few years after Rogue Nation, and it it's the first time you bring the same villain back as well with Solomon Lane. Mm-hmm. and everything's kind of tying together it feels like fallout is like it's the movie that's like oh we've actually been building a universe the entire time yeah yeah it was that's funny i'd forgotten like. how much it was i because my girlfriend's never seen any of them and i was like do you want to watch fallout for me I'm, I'm watching it for the podcast and she was like yeah what do i need to know from the last ones i was like oh you don't need to know much these movies pretty much like change every movie <laughs> and then we got into it and i was like oh shoot she doesn't know about solomon lane she doesn't know about or Elsa. Elsa, Elsa she yeah. doesn't know about Julia. 
uh she doesn't know about like that that alec baldwin used to be with the cia and he used to not like the imf and now he likes them (laughs) it's like oh that you kind of actually do need to know some of this but they do it they do they give you a nice little catch up with the you know they've got the built-in spy movies this is something we haven't talked about but but a spy franchise has a nice little built-in exposition where you get to tell your your agent what their mission is this movie the, yeah the bond franchise does it as well but in this one they they do a nice little catch-up of like hey remember the syndicate it's been three years here's this here's this yeah group of like secret agents that have all gone bad now here's solomon lane like they they do a good job of catching you up with that little uh nice nice little video presentation you know yeah something now i thought called about the apostles yeah something i thought about this go around was they're like yeah there's three like plutonium cores missing a nuclear bomb could be made any minute now who did they hire to like edit this nice little like video <laughs> together like just just type it all up and send it out man the time is of the essence right now yeah who, who yeah who are the imf's like video editors that was animated like, like they, they had someone come in and animate that that <laughs> um that presentation for them you gotta play your resume like after effects after effects uh experience and all that. after effects i can work extremely fast uh, even under like global threat of nuclear annihilation <laughs> You got, a, you, got, you got some guy doing a pro tools to get the narration down so everyone it's very clean and crisp yep and then it just self-destructs and all your and work is gone <laughs> there's no proof how you gonna make a reel off that like how do, <laughs> how do you gonna do that anyway sorry tangent um but yeah it does give you a little catch up that's the thing i noticed too is like just like ghost protocol does as well it's like okay here's your mission if you choose to accept which is weirdly a, a a line that comes up a lot in this movie. Yeah, well, they said it like every, every all the villains the show, and, and but yeah, they 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 like joke about it in this movie. Like Lane, or, or Lane and Catwell both kind of like yeah. tease Ethan about it. Yeah, it's like oh, you you don't have to be here. Mm-hmm. You chose this life if you choose to accept, correct? Because that's the idea. Is like like because everyone kind of says like it's the job. That's another line keeps getting brought. It's the job, like. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's the job to like kill someone innocent if it prevents the world from global or global domination. But like with Ethan, he's a he's a person who he has to choose. He's he's gonna choose that innocent life. It's the scene the scene that kind of really encapsulated that for me in this movie was when they've apprehended Solomon Lane and they're getting into the car and they open the doors and the French cop is standing in front of them mm-hmm. and he's like okay put your gun down everyone get in the car and she pulls the gun his first instinct is to just like get her to put the gun down Mm -hmm. henry cavill like slowly pulls his gun out because he's gonna shoot and kill her because she's standing in his way from leaving Mm -hmm. and then she gets shot by these people who come out of nowhere and in order to protect her from being killed point blank he shoots all five of them yeah to save her and then lets her call in her shooting secondly mm-hmm. it's just like he will go out of his way to save the one person mm-hmm. and that's the whole thing is that this movie is it's the fallout of his decisions is yeah. what it is sir i think there's something you need to know i'm gonna stop you right there you had a terrible choice to make in berlin recover the plutonium or save your team you chose your team and now the world is at risk some flaw deep in your core being simply won't allow you to choose between one life and millions. You see that as a sign of weakness. To me, that's your greatest strength. It also tells me I can count on you 
to cover my ass, because coming over here from the CIA was a lateral move. Some say I stepped down, but I did it because of you. Don't make me regret it. So favorite saints. Man, the Halo jump. Was it Halo jump? Halo, Halo jump, jump. Right? Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. It is like a heart attack, like served up, like just panic attack. Holy, uh, you know. Holy shit. You can yeah, say it. there we go. All right. I got the, got the E on this one. Um, yeah. So if, if anyone is not aware, they shot a real halo jump, which is a, a uh, skydiving from above the atmosphere. You have to wear an oxygen tank. And uh, they had, what was the country they had to shoot it in? It was. Was, oh, was it Saudi so, Arabia? I think it was Saudi Arabia. But anyway, most countries in the world would not let them shoot this scene because it was so dangerous. Yeah, and um, they ended up shooting in Saudi Arabia yeah, you, you, and United Arab United Emirates. Arab Emirates. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and um, Tom Cruise does it. Tom Cruise does this Halo jump. I don't know how many t- I, I, eight or nine. I thought I heard at one point like did this jump. Okay, well, okay. I'll, I'll jump ahead with this. Go for it. 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 What, is, what you got? It, what you got? It, it, it is very vital. So he he would do six uh, six jumps a day, five four to six jumps a day to prep for this. <laughs> For like a for a year, uh, he would do one in the morning, three in the afternoon, and one at night. Like one in the evening before every before the sun went down. Full year planning. Uh, the crew only had a limited time window of three minutes a day during sunset to actually film the jump. They did it one time for three days straight when they actually filmed it. Hmm. Total of 106 jumps to get the three possible takes. Simon Peck, and so he did like the one in the morning, three in the afternoon, one in the evening. Simon Pegg said uh, him and his co-stars would watch uh, Cruise, and they seriously thought he was going to die. Yeah. Pegg goes, it's a daily stress. It's incredibly stress. dangerous. It, it, Pegg goes, it's a daily stress going to work with them because you don't know if you're going to see him tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, you got You have to watch it. Even if you've never seen the movie, Like, look it up on YouTube. It's all one shot, obviously. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> obviously. There is some there's some CGI involved because they make it look like there's a thunderstorm when there was not a thunderstorm for real. Yeah. But, oh, and, um, and over Paris and over yeah, Paris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make it yeah. over Paris, but it and it and it's what I talked about earlier with like the sound editing as well because there's a moment when he's struck by lightning and all the sound cuts out and then you slowly yeah. bring the sound back in as he like comes back into consciousness after blacking out for a moment and then yeah. it turns in this whole thing about catching. Henry Cavill, which like props to Henry Cavill's stuntman in this scene because he's incredible as well. Mm-hmm. I could not pretend to be dead or lifeless yeah. and, and do that fall. Like, let all. Can you imagine like doing that fall and having to completely relax your body? Yeah. Uh, no way. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that it, it's 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 kind of like, and and I think the John Wick franchise recognized this and kind of clung onto this as well, and that's what they've really made their like defining factor as well but there's you know there's so much great going on in this movie and the the plot is amazing but like it it is just one of those things that you cannot beat a like real incredible breathtaking action sequence and to know that it's real and to know that tom cruise is insane and does all these things just makes it he yeah he's just so laser focused like he he is an athlete in a way like he's just so laser focused on like you know what? I want to do this action scene. And he, cause he, he weirdly, I, it's cause I, I said this earlier with like kind of saying a joke, but Cruz in a way as an action star, is kind of a comedian where mm-hmm. he like, 
sees, I want to do a set piece, but let me find a movie for it. So mm-hmm. he envisions all these set pieces he wants to do, like he's Buster Keaton in the silent film era, creating mm-hmm. scenarios for his movies. And he does this with, it's like, oh, I want to do, uh, I want to hang from an pl- airplane that goes up. So that's Rogue Nation. Or I want to do a halo jump. Let's put that in the next Mission Impossible. Well, and this is this is a weird, I'm a, you made a, a nice Buster Keaton, Buster Keaton reference. I like that a lot. So I'm going to make another weird reference for you so within the within the the world of film and dance uh it's very often thought that like ballroom which obviously came over from england is very much like planned out and and we think of like a lot of british stuff as like going according to plan and something that became distinctly american within the world of dance is like gene kelly's style of dance which is like somewhere between tap and a little bit of everything but it's all about improv and even when it's choreographed it's choreographed to look like he is making it up on the spot. And that is a distinctly American thing within dance. And it is a, that is, I think why Ethan is an American spy because it is always, and they talk about this all the time. time. It's like Ethan will go run and jump onto something. And it's something that also set, I think Indiana Jones apart when, when, when Lucas Mm -hmm. and Spielberg set out to do Indiana Jones, they wanted him to be an American hero and that's something that he never knows what he's doing. He never knows really. Yeah. He ne- he has a plan and then it all goes wrong and he improvises. And that's what yeah, Ethan yeah. does. Ethan's always like, I'll figure it out. They're like, Ethan, yeah. what are we going to do? I'll figure it out. <laughs> that's what, yeah. And I feel like they go, they, they lean heavily into that in this movie more than any of the other films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of like, why, why I think Fallout's so good is that, so when we're watching Ghost Protocol, Ghost Protocol is a fun movie. Mm-hmm. And I think it's probably the funniest of the movies that they've done. But this has a great balance of comedy and action where you have those moments of like they're in the middle of a, a huge thing. Ethan, what are you going to do? I'll figure it out. Mm. Or I don't know yet. And you're like, well, we're in the middle of this like big, huge thing. What do you mean you don't know? It's mm. like, I'll, I'll, I'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's become this thing because especially from like the first one, the whole point of the IMF is to have these incredibly thought out and executed plans. Yeah. And now it's it's turned into this thing that like Ethan has the mind that can think that way and can make that plan, but he's also got this mind that he can improvise. And when the mask when the mask machine gets broken, he can jump in and go pretend to be John yeah. Lark himself. Uh, yeah. And that's that's kind of you know the the evolution of this franchise. He's always playing a hunch. That's the thing with him. He's mm-hmm. always just like I'm playing a hunch. I don't. We're, we're gonna find out. We're gonna yeah. find out. You're not here by accident. Who sent you? I can't tell you that. What are you doing? I have a date with the White Widow. He had a date with the Widow. You look nothing like him. And now, we have to hope they never met. Hope is not a strategy. Oh, you must be new. I have no other choice. The White Widow's our only lead. I've got to be this guy for five minutes. Don't do it. What? What is it? What aren't you telling me? You don't understand what you're involved in. I don't understand what I'm involved in. I don't understand what I'm involved in. What am I involved in? If you're meeting the widow, she leaves in three minutes. Ethan. I'll make it work. Ethan. I'll make it work. I mean, the bathroom fight. Yeah, straight in. Halo jumps straight into the bathroom fight. That's insane. (laughs) Great set pieces. The fight they have right after he meets Vanessa Kirby is is really, really well done, too. The fight, like, in the little bar scene. In the bar area, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... And then, I mean, you have the whole, I mean, I don't want to talk about just the action scenes, but I mean, the whole uh, motorcycle chase through, I guess, are they in, yeah, they're in Paris, I guess, mm-hmm. 
when Rebecca Ferguson's chasing after after Ethan and them. I love the I love the Wolf Blitzer scene. It's a great intro. <laughs> it's a great intro it into is. the movie. Especially, I think it functions really well, like, like watching it with my girlfriend the other night, I, I think it functions really well as an intro to the franchise if you've never seen one. That they drop you yeah. right in with one of the like classic mask schemes. Yeah. yeah. But they also execute it really well. It open, The movie opens with Ethan losing the plutonium cores he's after because he chooses to save Luther. Yeah. And then they cut right to news coverage of three nuclear blasts taking out the world. And you're sitting there like, this movie is called Mission Impossible Fallout. <laughs> Am I watching a movie about, like, did <laughs> they just pull a song of all fears and they actually yeah. blew the bombs up? Um, <laughs> and it's one of those things they, like, keep, they keep you in. They trick you. The, the, this movie does it really well. They do it twice with, like, the masks really well in this movie. But um, but it's 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 a fun little thing to get Wolf Blitzer in. Like, we automatically, like, we all know the trope of, like, real newscasters in movies. So we're like, yeah, yeah. they just got Wolf Blitzer to, like, record this news thing. You don't expect... Yeah him to like walk up in a minute and pull his mask off and be Benji. <laughs> yeah. I remember seeing theaters. Like, oh man, did they actually just blow this thing up? Yeah. Like, cause it leads right into it. And the difference too, between this movie and the other mission impossible films, it doesn't start with an action scene. Mm-hmm. That's the one, like, cause mission impossible, like a bond movie, there's always these tropes within the film is that you got to start off with the action scene where Tom Cruise is doing something crazy. And then you, and then it's your cold open is what it is. It's your mm-hmm. cold open action sequence. And with this one, it doesn't start that way. It starts mm-hmm. the way that the movie would start after the credits have happened. Cause it's always like a cold open action scene mission up impossible credits where you're showing what's going to happen in the mo- clips of what's going to happen in the movie yeah that's so weird i love that that's yeah. like a very distinctive I, I i don't i haven't seen enough of the tv show to remember if that's if they did that in the tv yeah. show but um yeah it's such a weird choice but i love that they stick with it and so that's why i was just like it but it feels like it starts with like the scene that happens after that intro mm-hmm. but then they use the wolf blitzer thing as kind of the cold open of like no this is what's happening. Yeah, this is just, it's not the end. This is just the yeah. beginning of this case. I like the Tom Cruise, Rebecca Ferguson scene when they're like in the, beneath the canopy of trees, like the trees that they're in. Mm-hmm. And they're just oh, like, yeah. they're discussing she's, like. She's so good in this. I remember when she so like, good. I remember when she exploded after the fifth one, everyone like walked. That was, and the yeah, fifth one, you walked it. out of it and you said, who, who is, is that? that? That's exactly yeah. what I said. <laughs> yeah. And I haven't I haven't seen Doctor Sleep yet. I hear she's fantastic in Doctor Sleep, but like she's it was the, it was great to see her like back in this role again. I think she's the best part of Doctor Sleep. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I didn't I say I hear that Doctor Sleep is fantastic. I said I heard that she is fantastic in Doctor no, no. Sleep. I, weirdly, side sidestep on to, to Doctor Sleep real quick because I it's weirdly I I did not love Doctor Sleep. It was fine, but there's weirdly been like a reassessment in quarantine I've seen from people. Mm-hmm. They're like finally because it didn't do well at the box office. It was a big bomb. Yeah. Or it was it was it was disappointing. I don't know if it actually lost money, um, but it was a big disappointment. But people have like weirdly found it in quarantine. Oh, this is a this is a really great movie, and I'm like, I don't remember it being that good. But I remember thinking I would join a cult if Rebecca Ferguson was the head of it. <laughs> I was just like, I get it, because there's like scenes when she's like convincing people to join a cult. I'm like, yep, I understand. Mm-hmm. Feel free, because she's so. Yeah, after Rogue Nation, I was like, who is this person and what else has she been in? And she really hadn't been in much, like, in, mm-hmm. a, I guess, American, American films. Right. Um, but yeah, she's amazing. And in the in the in in her introduction in, in Rogue Nation, she's very, like, 
she is, as we've talked about the tropes of like, she's the, a double agent. Like you yeah. never know where she stands and she, you know, she's very charming, but, and Ethan wants to trust her, but you never really know what she's going to do in that movie. And this movie yeah. is about kind of, it's a, it's a smaller, uh, and she's not in it a lot. Like she's a smaller character in this, but, but her plot line in this movie is like the Ethanization of her. Like Ethan has this power and, and I, I, we'll talk about it a little bit later on as, as kind of a trope in this movie that I, I'm not sure always works, but he has this power to like draw people into like his way of thinking and like what is yeah, now yeah. the IMF way of thinking. And, and, and her in the first, in, 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 in her first appearance in, in Rogue Nation, he's, he like tries to do that and, and fails a little bit. Like in the end, she yeah. kind of goes her own way and doesn't listen to him. But in this one, it's about him like finally bringing her into the fold and like bringing her into his way of seeing the world. You need to walk away. I can't do that. You weren't at the ballet to kill Locke. No. You were there to protect him. Yes. And you killed him to protect me. You wanted Locke to break Lane out. No, you needed him to break Lane out. Because you have to kill Lane. Who's making you do this? And my sex. Why? After we captured him in London, they tried to bring Lane home through diplomatic channels. But too many countries want their pound of flesh. A man like that, what he's seen, what he knows about British intelligence, they can't have him talking to a foreign government ever. That's not what I'm asking. Why did they send you? This is how I prove my loyalty. This is how I come home. But you are out. You are free. We are never free. I spent two years undercover with Lane. To them, I'm as much of a threat as he is. I kill him, or I never stop running. With this movie, there's a lot of bringing people back from previous ones, which was which was rarely a thing in the franchise pre four, mm -hmm. like you yeah, like new things, team every, every movie. Yeah. And, and even from like four, like I think you had, uh, you had Paula Patton who's mm -hmm. in ghost protocol who doesn't come back up. And I thought she was, she was really good in ghost protocol. Um, I think t is it Tandy Newton's Tandy Newton was, in, was two. in two and three a little bit. They, they kill her like right at the beginning of three. Right? Well, Carrie, Carrie Russell's in three. Mm -hmm. I think I thought they killed her. Oh, that's who they killed at the beginning. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, like it's it. They start they bring Michelle Monaghan back and it ties them together. But yeah, you have the only one you don't bring back is Jeremy Renner, apparently, um, <laughs> who was supposed we'll talk, to take over. <laughs> we're, we're, we'll talk about that later. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you uh, uh, another scene too is the uh, is the Jonathan Lark reveal that Henry Cavill is actually the bad guy the entire time because mm -hmm. another great the, mask. Another great mask sequence. Another great mask reveal. Also, Alec Baldwin in that scene is a delight. Yeah, yeah. You can tell that you can tell that his character is having a good time. Yeah. You know, he's he's the guy that sits behind the desk and like signs all the checks for IMF and he's just excited to get to like be in a classic yeah. IMF caper with masks and, and double crosses and all that. Yeah. He's like, I see why you guys have so much fun with this. Yeah. Because it's like, but I love this thing because he has the gun. He goes, oh, and you were having such a good day. Or, or he, goes, he goes, no. Oh, did I ruin your day? Mm -hmm. And then he says to me, I goes, oh, you were doing so well. I was like, man, Alec Baldwin's going for it in the scene. <laughs> he is having, he is having some fun. I'll, I will say this again. I said this in Man From U.N.C.L.E. Henry Cavill is 
an amazing asshole in movies and i understand <laughs> from what from everything i've seen he seems like a perfectly nice guy if not an overly nice guy as far as like hollywood actors go but he just something about his face you, he's got to be an asshole and even when you think he's a de- like when he's walker and you think he's just this like say agent who disagrees with yeah. ethan their like opposites attract relationship is hilarious and then yeah, it becomes yeah. even better when he's a bad guy like i don't know yeah. it's he's he is perfect in this movie I love him in this movie. I love his mustache in this movie. I love his giant machine gun in the helicopter fight. I love the way that he cocks his arms like they're guns before he goes into a fist fight. <laughs> Apparently improv on set. That was not that was not pre-planned. He just like, let me do it. And get <laughs> I've tried to it. No one can do it. Like it looks so no, dumb when anyone looks... else does it. Brandon and I are both doing it on Skype right now. But... <laughs> looks, like looks like we're playing like, like drums poorly. It's like... You gotta have the shirt just, sleeves. You gotta have... Yeah. The, that's the key. Um, let's see what other scenes. I mean, yeah, a lot of great action stuff. But yeah, I think... I really love... I love Michelle Monaghan in this movie. I, yeah. You texted me yesterday. You were like, we're just gonna be talking about all the actors we love. I love Michelle Monaghan. She is so charming. I love her in everything. There, maid of honor man made yeah m-a-d-e of honor with with uh yeah yeah, with with patrick dempsey patrick dempsey anytime i'm I'm switching channels that movie's on i'm watching it because of (laughs) michelle monaghan she's so charming in that movie she's amazing true detective season one she's amazing kiss kiss bang bang i love michelle monaghan she's great in kiss kiss bang bang give michelle monaghan her like bit give her her like i don't know big little lies or whatever she needs like right now because yeah all the show all the shows she's on just don't they just don't catch fire i really love the the just and it's i don't you can't really call it a scene because we're like intercutting but i love when she goes to help luther uh, work on like try and disarm the the bomb and she's just like tell me what to do and he's like you need to get out of here and she's like tell me what to do and she's like, I I used to be in this. I know what Ethan's been through. Look, I need to yeah, help. Yeah. Uh, she's great. And, I love, and then she at one point she goes, so how's Ethan? Like she's mm-hmm. asking how Ethan is in the middle of like, yeah. uh, he's the same. I love that moment where she's like, she's they're telling, you know, so, so she runs into to Ethan and, and yeah. her, her, her new husband walks up and Ethan says, does he know? And she says, no. And they, they immediately like come up with this fake story of how she knows Ethan. Yeah. I love that moment where she says, oh, yeah, he's here on vacation. And he's like, no, no, I'm actually I'm working. <laughs> she's just like, <laughs> and oh, that right shit. There, she's like, like oh, we're, oh, something's wrong. Yeah, something's <laughs> happening here. It's like it's like we always used to say during hurricane season if Jim Cantori from the Weather Channel shows up in your yeah. town. You know, you need to leave. Like if yeah. Ethan Hunt shows up in your camp. Something's about to go down. You need to you need to go. <laughs> Why are strippers? I'm a doctor, not an electrician. Sorry. The thing with the green grip. Got it. The wire in my left hand. The black one. My left hand. That's your left hand. Sorry, the other wire. The red one. Yes, the red one in my right hand. Just checking. Oh, I like her. Speaking of her, the ending scene with her and Ethan, Mm -hmm. when Ethan's in the hospital, and they have the, like, it's the goodbye. It's Mm -hmm. the, it's almost, I'll always love you, but I know I can't be with you because I'll be in harm's way. Mm. And and if and if you quit completely, then everyone else is in harm's way. And she's mm. like, I'm happier and I feel safer knowing you're the one out there doing this. Yeah. Yeah. There's and, a great line where he says, because so much of this movie is like Ethan blaming himself and taking all yeah, the responsibility for, for everything. everything. Like you said, it's yeah. about the, the fallout of his choices. And there's a great moment where he goes to say and, you know, he's going to say it because he's been saying it throughout the whole movie. But he goes to tell her, I'm sorry this was this was everything that happened was my fault 
And she stops him and goes, nothing happened because you were here. And that's, that's what he needs to hear in that moment. It's, uh, it's great. It's, I think this mo- I think this movie has the best characterization of Ethan of any of the movies. This is the one you. that really stepped up and they said, like, this is who Ethan is. And, and I'm looking forward to them continuing that in the franchise. It's the good ending to, like, the revamp, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm really intrigued to see what they do after this movie. Mm-hmm. But it's do you like... Stick, it, do it, you keep, is this their team? Like, they, the way they, the way they yeah. kind of end on, like... Luther, Benji, and Ilsa standing there in like the doorway of the camp. You're like, this is it. Like this is yeah, this the new the IMF uh, with Angela Bassett now, um, yeah. which I want to come back to. Stick a pin in that. <laughs> but um, and then Cherry Ritter comes back for seven or eight. And oh, love. There, he, there he is. Julia, I'm sorry. There's no reason to be sorry. No, I'm sorry for everything. Look at me. Look at me. Look at my life. I love what I do, and I never would have found this if I hadn't met you. And everything that happened, it taught me who I am. It showed me what I am capable of, and I, I am a survivor. But what happened here? It was more. Nothing happened. Because you are here. And I sleep soundly at night knowing you always will be. You're happy. Very. I'm exactly where I should be. And so are you. So on set life, we talked about the Halo skydiving sequence. The other big thing that was talked about a lot in the press was Tom Cruise uh, broke his ankle. Mm-hmm. Which is like the least of the three big set pe- or the big four. Yeah. There's really four big set pieces. And now, like we all we all know Tom Cruise has to sprint in a movie. And it's fun. That's a it's a fun little thing to watch him sprint around and, and jump out the roof and stuff. He like, knows that's what you're paying for. He's yeah. aware. But uh, as far if you're ranking the four big set pieces, that's my, that's my least favorite. And the thing is, it's like it doesn't even feel like a set piece. That's the other thing. It is a set piece, but it's just oh, I'm chasing this guy mm-hmm. on foot. Like the funny, the, the better stuff. It's it's the it's the interplay between him and Simon Pegg. Yeah, that he's when got the, he, he thinks he's on ground level. Yeah, and he's turn, not. turn left. Why are you turning left? I'm jumping out of a building. <laughs> and he's like, oh, sorry, I had it in 2D. My apologies. Mm. Or like, I had it on screen lock because he kept turning it. But yeah, he broke his ankle when jumping from, from a building to building. They had to halt production for eight weeks because of it and had to pay everyone for those eight weeks. Which is why we have stunt doubles. <laughs> I just want to make it clear, as much as we've been like praising Tom Cruise for doing his own stunts in this movie, there's a reason that stunt doubles exist and are very well respected. Apparently, the injury resulted in a cost of around $80 million wow. for the studio. But because uh, because they had to pay the cast and crew for the eight-week hiatus. However, the injury and, and cost were offset by insurance, so it didn't count against the film's budget. But still, yeah, fr- fracture his ankle and... Missed eight weeks, but came in two weeks before he was supposed to because he's like, I'm ready to go. I'm Tom Cruise. 
Uh, Cruz still refers to the stunt as the easiest of all he's done for this film. Yeah. Yeah. It's the least <laughs> dangerous looking thing of anything he does yeah. in this movie. And it is. And, it, and the and the shot of him breaking his ankle is in the movie. The shots. Yeah. Of That's him what I thought are... when I was in the theater, because I had seen there's a paparazzi video of it happening. Yeah. That went viral after he did it. And when I was sitting in the theater and they show it from a different angle, I was like, that looks like that looks like him breaking his ankle. Yeah. If you watch him, he gets up and like kind of like he runs off. His mm -hmm. like right leg is just like dragging because he yeah. can't put any weight on it. Um, also on set life, Tom Cruise shared that when filming the motorcycle chase in Paris, the safety rig on his motorcycle was malfunctioning. The crew had a very small window in which they could get the shots needed. So Cruz told uh, McQuarrie, "My friend, we have to go. We have to get this shot. You just put the camera out there, and I'll come around the corner as fast as this bike will possibly go." <laughs> oh man! <laughs> oh, I, that would be a rough producing thing of just like he's doing oh, what yeah, today? No. He's yeah, doing no, what today? Absolutely not. Rebecca Ferguson was pregnant during filming, and she was seven months pregnant by the end of shooting. Wow. Could not tell at all. And she's in some heavy action scenes. Here's the big one for Thomas, I guess, may talk about. A clause stipulated in Henry Cavill's contract. <laughs> yes, I was uh, hoping you were going to say this. <laughs> forbade him from shaving his beard required for the role. During production, the producers received a call from Justice League producers requesting Cavill back for some reshoots. They suggested letting Cavill shave his beard, shutting down productions while, while he does his reshoots. Uh, then getting Warner Brothers to pay $3 million for additional visual effects to put in a digital mustache. And Paramount was like, hell no, you guys can go do the digital stuff. Yeah. We're not doing it. The mustache makes this movie. And from what I understand, I still haven't seen Justice League. From what I understand, it, it breaks Justice League. <laughs> oh, that, trust me, that's not the thing that breaks Justice what League. A, what a powerful mustache. <laughs> Let me tell you, if the power of your facial hair can make a blockbuster and also destroy another blockbuster all at once. <laughs> this is probably the most iconic mustache I think in the history. It's it's up there. It's on the mustache. At least, at least, at least the 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 2010s, hands yeah. down. 2010s, hands down. Definitely uh, better oh, than definitely better than that Johnny Depp movie where he had the mustache. I can't even remember the name of it now. What Mord Mordecai? Mordecai. There we go. There we go. <laughs> we got we got Henry Cowell's mustache all the way up at the top, and the Mordecai mustache is all the way at the bottom. Awards and aftermath. Um, the film has become the highest grossing movie in the franchise, grossing $791 million worldwide. It received the best reviews of the franchise, currently holding a 97% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. The closest are Rogue Nation and Ghost Protocol at 93%. On Metacritic, which is a little bit harsher on ratings, it has the highest with 86, uh, 86 positive. Wow. And the next highest rating is Rogue Nation with a 75 they are now planning to shoot Mission Impossible 7 and 8 back to back. And we're shooting 7 in the midst or at the beginning of this year before COVID happened. So they were postponed, but they are currently shooting overseas. They started back in July after everyone went through a mandatory 14 day quarantine. Hmm. And so apparently anytime they're going to a new country, because that's a big, a big thing in this series is going from like country to country. Anytime they go to a new country, they have to do a 14 day quarantine before they can start shooting in that country. Wow. So Mission Impossible in 7 and 8. 7 comes out November 2021. As of right now. Let's go. Can't wait. And then 8 is November. This will be the shortest gap. Number 8 will be November 2022. Yeah. Let's do it. 
I was like, do you think do you, this is a little bit jumping ahead? Do you think it'd be the end of the franchise with eight? I mean, I don't know. That's the thing. We we t- we touched on Jeremy Renner a little bit. The yeah. the the not so secret plan during Mission Impossible uh, uh, Ghost Protocol. Ghost, Ghost, Ghost Protocol. Yeah. The not so secret plan it, everyone knew was to bring in Jeremy Renner. He he was brought in as a CIA agent who was who was kind of like Walker was made to like tail Ethan and keep him in check. And the idea was by the end of this movie he's going to be converted to the IMF. We'll knock out maybe one more movie with Tom Cruise, and then it's going to be a Jeremy Renner franchise, um, which was also the plan with the Bourne movies because yeah. uh, because Matt Damon had said he wasn't coming back. And yeah. uh, guess what? Everyone, I think it was the minute that Tom Cruise climbed up the outside of that building, the franchise became this is a franchise about Tom Cruise doing stunts. Yeah, that is that happened. And it has become that is what this franchise is now. And it became I think obviously it was Tom Cruise's franchise before. But in that moment, it became inextricably tied to Tom Cruise. You cannot separate the two. Yeah. And Jeremy Renner was kind of faded out. Everyone went, oh. We got to keep doing this with Tom Cruise, now, and he's well, going to keep doing it. Yeah, and I liked Renner because he's in he's in Rogue Nation and Ghost Protocol, and I liked him as mm-hmm. like part of the team. Mm-hmm. But, but not I, not the new Ethan. Like, no, which not was the new the Ethan. At one point, but like he's he's fun in Ghost Protocol. Whenever we watched it, where he's he has a similar thing where like he's about to jump into like a tunnel with like a turbine below it, mm-hmm. and they're just like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "I'm jumping." Like, give me a second. Like, I've never done this before. He set up to be this like man of mystery, mm-hmm. and it's that they set up to where like he has a connection with with Ethan in the movie because because he 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 got out of the sir out, got out of, out of the field because he was supposed to tail Ethan and his wife, and Ethan fakes his wife's death in order to protect her, and Jeremy Renner feels like he was responsible for that death. William Brandt mm-hmm. is his name, I believe, uh, and so yeah, it doesn't. I, I think he's a good part of the team, but. I also, if he was in this movie, like, cause he, he couldn't do this movie cause Avengers, the Avengers schedule for Endgame, uh, for Avengers Endgame. So if he did this movie, I don't know where you would put him as the thing. Um, apparently if he was in it, he was going to be in a cameo and they would have killed him off in the opening act, apparently. Ooh. So I don't know about that. I don't, I don't, I don't need to, like, I didn't want him to take over the franchise, but I didn't want to see him die. I think he's a good team member. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'd be open to him coming back for seven and eight, but, but yeah. what I was, what I was pointing to is I, I, I don't think the franchise as it is now continues without Tom Cruise. And I, I don't know that this is something, I don't know that the IP is valuable enough without Tom Cruise attached is, is the real question. Like if, if we get seven and eight out, Tom Cruise is, is 65 and just can't do this anymore. Is are people going to see Mission Impossible without Tom Cruise? I don't know that the answer is yes. Like, there's some yeah. IP that is going to survive without, you know, the Marvel series is going to survive without Robert Downey Jr. Um, yeah. It's just a fact. Yeah. But I don't know that this IP is able to be separated from Tom Cruise. I agree. Well, because, like, like, Bond, for example, it's like, Bond's like the Pope. You're just excited to see who's going to come in next. <laughs> Yeah. yeah it's exciting <laughs> who's gonna come next yeah. that, that is part it's become part of yeah. the, the bond experience yeah um but i, I don't know that I, I don't i really don't think they would change ethan like um yeah 
but I don't know that a Mission Impossible movie with without Ethan is something that you can gamble on. I don't know that it's something I would throw hundreds of millions of dollars at to make. I, it would feel like yeah. a pretty steep gamble to me. It'd be it'd be smart just to do a TV show without time, like do a, yeah. a Mission Impossible TV show because it's so closely tied to like everything that we. Tom Cruise now has like fifty years worth of pop culture that we bring to the the theater when we come in to see this. Yeah. Like we bring the jumping on the couch on Oprah's show. We bring the the you know breaking of his ankle on the set. That everything that it's that it's, that yeah, is it's, part it's, of it's, these movies. It's top. I mean, it's Top Gun. Like, or just in general, you're you're billion. Yeah. Like Tom Tom Cruise persona took a hit in the two thousands. And Mission Impossible is the one that kind of like brought that persona back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and to to replace someone in that role, you're gonna have to build that. And at this point, it's become like a legend of like Tom Cruise yeah. climbed that building. Tom Cruise strapped himself to the side, side of an airplane. Yeah. Like you can't you can't really you, you just have to start feeding. You you have to pick some actor and start like feeding all this stuff to the press. I mean, Keanu is kind of there. I don't think Keanu would needs to take over the Mission Impossible franchise because yeah. he's older himself. But like it's it's this thing that like you needed to start feeding to the press like oh we picked I don't know Alden Ehrenreich to be the new Ethan Hunt and then you just gotta start feeding all these stories to the press about how Alden Ehrenreich flies jet planes on the side and and jumps out of them <laughs> and 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 free dives without a parachute <laughs> you you like bringing Alden Ehrenreich in, into these conversations of recast I don't know I don't know a lot of the hot young actors I used to I used to keep up with that sort of thing I don't anymore who's hot and young I don't know he just got this <laughs> he just got that new show out with the 1984 or whatever Brave New World Brave New World That's okay it. so uh moving on uh what worked about this movie that we haven't talked about Tom Cruise's stunts um the cast the cast all uh, you know, this is the beauty of a of a really good franchise is like casting, getting a great cast together that plays well yeah. off of each other. And, and Baldwin, like you said, is having a great time in it. Simon Pegg is like never what you never would have expected him to like last as long as he has in this franchise. Yeah. But he's integral now. Like he from three to six. You need Benji. Like Benji completely grounds Ethan. And it's and I love having Luther back from like the earlier films. Um it's a it's a really really I think this iteration now especially with Ilsa added is like the best IMF that we've had. Yeah, what what I love what happened in the in the from four onward because the there was always a team involved with Ethan in the Mission Impossible movies, but like it was Tom Cruise in the posters. Mm-hmm. That was it. It was Tom Cruise's face on the posters. No one else. But. When four onward, it became a more traditional ensemble series. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing like in I think Ghost Protocol poster, like there was just a poster of of Cruz for sure, but there's also like Cruz and Simon Pegg and Renner and Paula Patton or Rogue Nation. You're seeing kind of a collage of all of them. So like it's they they're becoming all inherent. They're a part of the franchise. Like they're becoming integral to the franchise. Did anything not work about this movie? All right, I'm going back to that pin I stuck in. <laughs> I know there's some I know there's some comical stuff in this movie, but to have Angela Bass's character have the exact same arc that Alec Baldwin's character had? Oh yeah, and I is, oh, yeah. is a little weird. <laughs> like I'm the head of the CIA. I hate IMF. Oh, wow. I really like IMF now. I'm going to take over. <laughs> Does she, is, is that what happens? Does she take over at the end? That's yeah, yeah. at the end okay. of it, she has this like voiceover which feels a little tacked on. 
to be yeah. honest but she's like we're yeah, we're yeah. gonna we're gonna give lane to mi6 we're gonna clear your and and she says i now see what i forget what alec baldwin's name is but now i, I see why he thought yeah. the imf were so integral we need someone who cares more about the one life than the millions and that's yeah. why i'm going to be seeing up the imf will continue under my command or something like that and which is exactly yeah, what he, what alec baldwin did two movies ago <laughs> i think that i think it's in rogue nation i think yeah because yeah so so I, unless that's going to become a thing unless that's going to become like a running joke you know it's the rule of threes if they do it again in the next movie i'll be like okay this is like an inside joke but but to <laughs> just do it like two movies back to back felt a little like come on guys yeah because that's what happens that, yeah at the end of rogue nation is that i think baldwin becomes the because he says to the beginning, he goes, he goes, when I, that, there's one, okay, this scene, this scene, this, this scene, uh, bumped me. And it's this, even though it's a good part where he says like, oh, I want you because you'll choose the one life over the millions, which is not a bad thing. But like, there is so much exposition. You know, when I took my job from the CIA to here, some people said it was a lateral move. Some even said it was a demotion. And I'm like, yeah. cool. Yeah. Why do we need to know this? It was just like and he's Spies just kind of like, very expository people. Okay, <laughs> you got a that lot of like, information you got to keep track of. It's nice, you know. It's just a spy courtesy to like yeah. lay down your background information for someone else. Well, I love about certain like because we I was always told like like a, a a young screenwriter will throw all the exposition out in like the first few scenes, so you don't have to worry about the rest of the movie. And that's supposed to be like a a, a no no. Don't do that. But mm. here it's just like now we're gonna throw it out in the first few scenes and then just like the rest Action is just Tom Cruise. Yeah, Tom Cruise Set getting pieces. crazy. We are, we they know why we're there. We know why we're there. <laughs> we're there to see the set pieces. Give them to yeah. us. Yeah, I agree. Alternate universe cast can't find anything about uh, who was supposed to be in this movie. That's been Jeremy Renner who was supposed to be Ethan at this. That's point. true. Jeremy Renner was supposed <laughs> to be in this movie. That's true. Film facts. Post-production on the film was completed on July 3rd, 2018, less than three weeks before the film's premiere. Wow. That's a that's a, that's a a tough turnaround. Yep. This is the first time the F word was used in a Mission Impossible movie. And Henry Cavill is the one to do it. And Henry Cavill says it. The name of Rebecca Ferguson's character, Ilsa, is McQuarrie's nod to Ilsa Lund in Casablanca. Hmm. Because he sees a lot of similarities between Ferguson and those actresses of the time. We haven't talked about Casablanca and Spy Movie, like Spy Movie Month, but it weirdly has some similarities to it because it is kind of like an espionage thing to some extent. Yeah, there's there's a lot of different like like there's some spy tropes in Casablanca. This last bit mainly for you. Tom Cruise was originally cast as Napoleon Solo in The Man from Uncle. I did know that actually. Before being forced to drop out as production for the previous installment of Mission Impossible Rogue Nation clashed with Man from Uncle. As a result, Henry Cavill was moved up to play Solo. Impressed by his replacement and wanting to work with Cavill, he proposed McQuarrie to cast him as Agent Walker. So he got the role Perfection. because of the man, the man from Uncle. And we got and we got Henry Cavill in Man from Uncle, which is fantastic. And we got Henry Cavill in the mustache that changed yep. the world. Like think about think about where we would be. It's like the butterfly effect, man. If Henry Cavill had not had the mustache in this movie and had had the mustache, Justice League might be, you know, the biggest blockbuster of all time. Don't don't go there. Don't don't do that. <laughs> we'll see what the Snyder cut does. Um also, uh Cruz it was also Cruz's idea to cast Vanessa Kirby 
as the White Widow since Cruz was impressed by her work as Princess Margaret in the first two seasons of The Crown. Yeah, I wasn't super familiar with her before this. I'd seen a I'd seen a, a taped version of a stage play she had done, and that was it. And yeah, and then she, now she's in this franchise and the and the uh, Fast and Furious franchise. Yeah, she's in uh, Shaw, uh, Hobbs and Shaw franchise. Yeah, so there's something people don't know about uh, about Tom Cruise. That dude watches a lot of stuff. <laughs> like he and people there was there's a running joke online at one point there's like there's tom cruise never watched a movie because he'll say oh i watch a movie a day they go what's some of your favorites oh well there's just so many <laughs> and he would never answer and they're just like no he he seriously watches so many movies because that's like in the 90s see now cruise in his phase his career where he's like i'm working with the same three directors and that's about it and that's like Doug Lyman and Joseph Kaczyn- or Joseph Kaczynski, I believe, who did uh, um, Oblivion is doing Top Gun Maverick and Christopher McQuarrie. Those are like the three guys I'm working with and pretty much no one else. But in the 90s, he would go around to like indie directors or young directors like, hey, I like your movie. Write me a part. Mm-hmm. And that's how he got Magnolia because he went to Paul Thomas Anderson because he loved Boogie Nights. Like, hey, write me a part. Or he would like was it was Narc, which was by um, it was Joe Carnahan, the movie Narc uh, with Ray Liotta, where like Cruz like an early version of the movie. It's like, oh, this is really good. We gotta get this on a bigger stage, like get a bigger like release. So like he would watch so much stuff and try to prop up like younger filmmakers. So I could see him doing the same thing with like actors. I'm like, oh, they're really good. I want to put them in my movie. Yeah, he's a great producer. Don't get enough credit, guys. He's great. Uh, do you have any or uh, story questions? I have one story question. I have, I have the same. I believe I have the same question as you. Uh, yeah. What does Ilsa whisper to Julie at the end of the movie? Is it Julia I don't or know, Julie? Man. Julia. Julia. I noticed it this time. I don't remember that the first time, but yeah, she leans in and says something to her at the camp. Yeah, I noticed it. I noticed it both times I watched the last twenty minutes of this movie. Amazon Prime, I have no shame. But uh yeah, I don't know. They have a nice little like lost in translation moment here. Yeah, because yeah, she whispers, and I don't think Monahan says anything back to her. Mm-mm. Like it's not like a whisper whisper. They have like a little like knowing smile between the two of them for a moment. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, who knows? Cause I mean it's, it's nice. kinda like it's it's trying I don't know if it's gonna set this up, but it's like it feels like it's setting up the okay, Julia's gone. Now Ethan can like be with someone who's like in his world. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's Ilsa. what Ilsa brings to him. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. Uh okay, awards. The Beatrice Strait Award for an actor or actress with limited scenes that kills it. Is Rebecca Ferguson in too many scenes she in this is. movie? She is. She is? All right, Vanessa yeah. Kirby. Okay. Or or What's the actor slash stunt performer's name who is in the bathroom fight with the two of them? I don't know his name, but he's great. I'm so, so you're not putting Michelle Monaghan here. Um, I don't know. I, I do love Michelle Monaghan, but I don't know. I, I think I think Vanessa Kirby more. Vanessa Kirby's okay. a lot of fun in this movie. She's bringing this weird, like really flirty energy yeah. with Ethan, and I I like her. And they kind of set her up like she might still be around in the franchise, which I'm happy she, for. Oh, she will. She will be in the franchise. I, I think I think she was cast for seven. 
No Alec Baldwin this one? I feel like Alec Baldwin could fit in this category. Yeah, I don't know. We've already had him around here before. Even I'm, though I'm, they, I'm they fine with Kirby. Good I, I know a lot of people are upset that he got a couple good punches in on Henry Cavill, but I was I was happy to see it. I, I, I like the nominees for, for Baldwin, but I'll, I'll, go, I'll go with Kirby. I'll go with Vanessa Kirby. You can't possibly be John Mark. I'm not, actually. It's an alias. I suppose it's better than John Doe. Is there another name you prefer? Is there someone we could talk about? In fact, I like Lark. It's of a certain ring. We don't have a lot of time. I'll be honest with you, a man of your reputation, I was expecting someone uglier. And don't let looks deceive. I'm as ugly as they come. Now I'll be honest with you, your life is in danger. Don't you touch her. Relax, it's my brother. Being rude to our guests, Zola. It's time to go. Don't turn this into a scene. You don't want to be with this one? You're saying? Your life is in danger. And who would want to kill me? The Americans, for starters. If that were true, I would know it. Do you think you're the only one with spies in the government? <laughs> there are people here who don't want this meeting to happen. Don't believe me? Look around. We have a new title for the X Factor Award. No more Joe Pesci. All right. He's too big. The Annie Potts X Factor Award. Nice. Because we tend to love Annie Potts so much on this on this, we on do. this, we do. On this podcast. So the Annie Potts X Factor Award, supporting actor or actress, says there's the most memorable. I know my answer. What's your answer? <laughs> I mean, I mean, your answer is probably Henry Cavill. My answer? No, you're actually, No. You're okay. actually wrong about that. My answer is Henry Cavill's mustache. Oh my god! <laughs> but yes, it's Henry Cavill. Yes, he is. I mean, it, you know, it's 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 fun because they bring Lane into this movie, but they and Lane has been set up as like the big bad. Like his whole plot is to yeah. like destroy Ethan. But the way the movie works is it like it makes Lane more of like Ilsa's villain. Like Ilsa is the one who gets to like take Lane out in the end, and it makes Walker the like ethan's rival because walker represents everything about intelligence that ethan hates like the the double crossing and the lying and the out for your own gain and then eventually even before he knows he's a double agent and then becoming a double agent betraying your country and killing innocent people and a lack of respect for life yeah it's um even more than lane like in the last movie lane was propped up as this person who like took intelligence and warped it to something evil and ethan hated that yeah. This is even more so because uh, Walker is someone who is like out in the field and is an agent. Yeah. It's like a mirror of Ethan, like a, an evil mirror. Yeah, of Ethan. He, he's he's the antithesis of Ethan. Yeah. Like he, and he, and yeah. so I just love I love the two of them. I love the energy between them. I love him in the helicopter scene, like reacting to reacting to Ethan, like not dying. I love. Yeah, I love that. I love that moment of when a movie villain is like, why won't you die? <laughs> <laughs> And Cavill nails it here. It's it's so much fun, and the the physicality of him. I mean, he's just a yeah. Hulk, and that scene is. And, and Tom Cruise is small, and I love that they played up. You know, Tom Cruise is past his days when he has to be on like a, a like three apple boxes to like be taller than everyone else in the scene. It's like yeah, Walker is gigantic, and I love the just the moment when like they're on the top, they're on the peak of the mountain or whatever, the little crop outcrop. And Walker is like standing right over the detonator 
and Tom Cruise just like revs up and like charges into him to try and like knock him back enough to grab the detonator and Cavill doesn't even move. It's just like, yeah, no, you, you got to try harder than that. Man. Uh, I'll go with Cavill. I, I, if we're talking Rogue Nation, it's Rebecca Ferguson. Hands oh, down. yeah, absolutely. Rogue yeah, Nation go- is Rebecca Ferguson all the way. I just don't. She's somewhere in between Beatrice Strait and Annie Potts yeah. <laughs> in this movie. Like she doesn't have quite enough scenes to take the X factor. Yeah, but she's she's in a little bit too many scenes to be like a limited actor in this. But she and her stunts are. I love the fight scene that she has with Lane. It's yeah. so well choreographed, and I love that they give her like her own kind of style of fighting. Like it's very distinctive to her. Yeah. Um, but it's great. She has that moment where she's like trying trying to choke Lane out before she saves Benji. She's she's so good in that scene. The Gene Hackman MVP award. Go ahead and say it. We already said it. It's Tom Cruise, baby, all the way. Jumping out of a plane, f- hanging under the bottom of a helicopter. The cruiser. Driving way too fast around Paris, sprinting across the, the rooftops of London. Man, what a what a man. What a wild ride. I still I still want some like dramatic Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. I know, I know That'll be after after we've after we end Mission Possible, after he can't hang off the side of an airplane anymore, then he'll have his like twenty years of like, okay, I'm back to being a dramatic actor again. Yeah. Okay. That's what's. That's what I want. Uh, final questions. Pick whatever decade you want. If it was made in the 1970s, 1980s, who do you cast as Ethan Hunt? I would love a Michael Keaton Ethan Hunt. By the way, Michael Keaton, because I don't know if you listened or it hasn't come out yet. I put Michael Keaton up for the conversation for Gene oh, Hackman's. There we go. Two in a row. <laughs> no, it it needs to be someone, and that's the thing is Tom Cruise is someone who is always had a little bit of a comedic streak to him. Like, obviously, he was his yeah. career was made with a comedy. Um, but, you know, Ethan has got to be someone who doesn't take himself too seriously. Honestly, this is this is a more contemporary person, but I think Brad Pitt would be an amazing Ethan Hunt. <laughs> what we what we know yeah. now, looking back at his career, at his, like, comedic chops, um, it, it's it's got to be someone who is, like, like, like Harrison Ford. Like, everything is blown up in my face what the hell do i do now and and you have to enjoy going on that ride with them yeah well yeah, harrison ford would be interesting in this role i mean that, that they try i guess they tried that kind of with the the jack ryan series yeah but that was a lot more self-serious like yeah yeah, yeah. the jack no, ryan series was was closer to what you know we've what we've described as american yeah the the spy, modern american spy cinema now you just you want you want indiana jones but like right. as an american spy yeah exactly that yeah. is ethan hunt yeah the the american improvisation and ingenuity he embodies yeah. that by the way this is a side thing uh imf stands for stands for impossible impossible missions forces forces there we go so you're saying we're saying a keaton or a brad pitt a brad pitt and tom cruise in a like a a, a buddy spy movie yeah could be fun. Wasn't so Cruz? To... Wasn't Cruz at some point brought up for for Once Upon a Time in the in Hollywood? I feel like I heard that. I feel like I did hear that. That he was like like obviously the movie was written for these two guys, but I thought it, like if one of them couldn't do it, I want to say it was Pitt's part. If one of them couldn't do it, he was going to do Cruz. Man, if Tom Cruise, I'm not I'm not saying it would have been better, but that would have been interesting. That would have been very interesting. Let's see. Uh, if Brad Pitt hadn't been available, he would have offered the role of Tom Cruise. But he said that if he would have got Tom Cruise, he probably wouldn't have gotten DiCaprio. Hmm. Like he, he didn't want to pair those two together. Yeah. I would love to see Tom Cruise in like a, 
a Tarantino film. Yeah, we'll get it. We'll get it. I'm well, telling you. I mean, the bigger question is not not will Cruz be able to do it, but will Tarantino, oh, will Tarantino do, do it? it? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> Maybe we can bring him in for a couple episodes of Bounty Law. <laughs> uh, he would be a good like season like, like a, a season villain. Yeah, like Tom Cruise. Oh, that'd be fun. Um, does this film fit with any other genres? I mean, out and out because we've talked about not every spy movie is a action movie. Yeah, and this is an action movie. It's a spy movie and an action movie, but. You know, I, I, if someone came to me and said, I want to see an action movie, like I would be able to recommend this without saying like, oh, it's a spy. Like, do you like spy movies? Yeah, like, it's, yeah. you know, it is, it's both equally. I feel like I, I feel like more people, I don't think people realize how much of a spy movie it is or like this, how much like the, the film franchise is a spy mm-hmm. franchise. Again, it's just, it's not a spy doing stuff. It's Tom Cruise doing stuff. That's, yeah, that's and, and you think about. about things like the halo jumps, but you forget how important the masks are and the, the yeah. going undercover and all that. And uh, I, 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 this is I meant to say this earlier. You kind you kind of referenced it about the score. I meant to say this in the what works, but the score might be the best of like the most recent films. Mm-hmm. Like the score is amazing. I just want to yeah. say it real quick before we, before you ended. Uh, and then last question, um, how does this film fit within the spy genre? I mean, I think it it carves its own little corner. That's what I really I really love about it. And like like I said, it is it is it has become something I want to use the word like wholesome as the word, but it it has become something of its own. Yeah. Where it is like, yeah, other spies might be crooked, like we other agencies might be infiltrated, but we're the IMF and we're we are the good guys. Yeah. And and like we talked about a lot on the on the intro episode to this genre that is a question that is often being asked in these movies is are am i am i working for the right people am i the good guy and especially in post 9 11 spy cinema that has become the question Mm -hmm. um born did it jb james bond did it um you know it became this thing about like what am i am i right is it right to kill these people and and i love that where a lot of those other franchises have tried have have gone a little bit darker and a little bit heavier to try touching on that mission impossible has been like nope ethan is a good guy (laughs) ethan does what is right the imf are all good guys they're all buddies they've got each other's back you don't need to you don't need to worry about that part yeah and so it it is fully a spy film like there's double crossings galore and there's moles and there's leaks and there's backstabbing but you never have to worry about like Ethan and Benji and Luther doing that to each other. Yeah, I agree. It's um, it's very much what's what's interesting. It's established from the very first Mission Impossible movie is that Ethan is a good agent. He is a mm-hmm. good spy. When because because er, he's betrayed by his government or by his superiors basically, and so he is always like it's him against the world. Mm-hmm. And so and that's very that's very important in terms of, like the American spy compared to a James Bond. Where James Bond is always like, I don't think he's ever really, at least in the main traditional stuff, like him against the government. Yeah, Ethan's no. always Ethan's always the optimist, the the good guy in every scenario. Like that was the other the other thing that we didn't bring up, but was kind of touches on this is the the when they're telling Ethan what's going to happen when they when they steal Solomon Lane when he's partnering with Vanessa with the White Widow, and they have this like. Not a dream sequence, but like they're they're showing the plan, 
Mm-hmm. And that's when like Ethan's in the ar- in the armored mask and he's like he shoots innocent people. And it's the thing of like I'm being tasked with this thing of like what can I do where I don't kill an innocent life? Let me just improvise. And that's what he does. As we said mm-hmm. earlier in this episode. Anything else on Mission Impossible Fallout, Thomas? Every time I watch one of these movies, I'm like, this can't be as good as I remember it. Exactly. When when a new one comes out, I'm like, this can't, there's no way these movies can keep being good. And it was the same way when I came back to this one, I was a little scared. I was like, I was blown away when I came out of the theater. I'm like, is it going to live up to it? And it was better. I I, I had a better time. The second time I watched it, I had a better time the second and a half time I watched it last night. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I don't know what it is exactly. We just spent the whole last hour and 20 minutes trying to pinpoint exactly what it is about this franchise but it's it's a combination of all these things mostly tom cruise in the middle of it but uh it's just so much fun and it's wild that it it feels like a franchise that shouldn't work as well as it does yeah who would have thought if you had said even the tom cruise in 1998 hey you're gonna be making mission impossible movies for the next 20 years He'd be like, I don't think so. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't think anyone would have thought that. Yeah. Especially th- after the second one dropped. Well, yeah. Yeah. It was very much like it was a big thing, but like it, no, I don't think anyone expected to have this strong of legs, mm-hmm. strong of legs after just even just the first three. Like when Ghost Protocol came out, it changed everything of how this franchise was going to be. So shout out to all those directors who have worked on the Mission yep. Impossible franchise. And have continued the dream. And all the all the lost team members along the <laughs> way. Lo- Emilio Estevez? Remember Emilio Estevez? And mm-hmm. one? Uh, Doug Ray one. Scott. Which one's he in? He's in the second one. He he ends up, he's the one that like double crosses in the second one. I think, I think that's why he lost Wolverine was because of, he was supposed to be Wolverine. And I think it was reshoots for Mission Impossible 2 that he had done like a week on set of the first X-Men and had to back out. Man, you got to hate that. <laughs> you gotta hate that that would suck man sorry uh oh and brendan gleason was in too anyway yeah shout out tom cruise the cruiser the almighty um <laughs> get ready for that spacex movie or whatever he's doing with doug lyman in space it's gonna be ben and i just talked about that recently it's gonna be i'm down <laughs> you thought think about producing that movie hey we're yeah. gonna put tom cruise in space it's gonna be great, guys. Uh, yeah. So our next episode, Thomas, we're gonna be, we're gonna be finally here. We're gonna be there. We're gonna be doing. I've been preparing my whole life. You've been preparing for the last month, past <laughs> two weeks. <laughs> James Bond franchise, guys. So start streaming some James Bond movies. I think Hulu. They're all I, on Hulu. Are they on Hulu? Yeah, man. Every single one of them. Are you sure? Maybe not everyone, but at least the the, the Conneries for sure. Okay, because I, last I checked, I was just seeing the Pierce Brosnan ones on like uh, uh, ne- I think the Pierce Brosnan ones are on Netflix. Well, time, you know, time, time is a flat circle at this point. But er- early at the beginning of quarantine, I went back and watched most of the the Sean Connerys on Hulu, and I want to say it was like most of them were on there. Okay, well, who who knows? Every month it's changing. Yeah, and we, we don't know what month we're in anymore. So, so yeah. Um, but guys, uh, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Give us a rating. Give us a review. We'd love to see what you guys think of what we're doing with this revamp. And we haven't had a review up there in a bit. So do us a favor. It'd be great. 
Shout out to our uh, our uh, uh, New York listeners, just because. <laughs> also, make sure you like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and follow us our stuff on Medium. Uh, Thomas, I think that's it. As always. All right, dude. It's a blast rewatching this movie. It's been fun, guys. Thank you so much for listening. We hope to listen to more episodes soon. Bye.